Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam, I'm one of your hosts for this episode and joining me on this episode once again, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this weekend? Are you okay? I'm doing good, mate. I hope everyone's doing well out there. It's a bit tough again here in the UK, so I hope everybody's uh, keeping their heads up and uh, hopefully um, the race we just had, which turned out to be a bit more entertaining than I thought, helped lift the spirits a little bit. Absolutely. Of course, you're referring to the new lockdown measures that the uh, Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, has just announced, which will keep us in basically a similar level of lockdown to what we had originally in March up until December, which is uh, a bit frustrating. But obviously, we need to do our part to make sure that everyone stays safe and that we can control the spread of the virus as much as we can. So hopefully everyone will join and do their bit once again. But uh, moving to more positive things, as you've mentioned already, Courtney, um, just a quick word. Our last episode that we did, if you haven't already seen it, we did a transfer special, which was to cover all the latest news and gossip and speculation of the current F1 driver market as we approach the second phase of the silly season. And I'm happy to say that it's done incredibly well by our standards. It's almost the first episode to reach 500 views. It may also join the uh, episode we did a couple of weeks ago at the Eiffel Grand Prix. So for those of you that have checked it out and liked and also subscribed to the channel following that, thank you so much for your support. Really do appreciate that. And uh, we hope that you guys are enjoying the content that we're making. This is our second video podcast episode. So hopefully it's the start of plenty things to come. So thank you for your support. And uh, we love you. Well, we love you so much for it anyway, but keep supporting us. We're absolutely enjoying making this content for you. So thank you so much for that. So moving to the race itself, Courtney, of course, as you already mentioned, a very, very happy day for the Mercedes team. As expected, Mercedes have now uh, achieved the record of becoming the first Formula One team to win seven consecutive Constructors' Championships. And that is incredibly insane. 
From 2014, from the start of the Turbo Hybrid era, Mercedes have completely dominated the sport. And that has culminated once again with them achieving another Constructors' Championship with a 1-2 finish at this weekend's Imola Grand Prix between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, which of course was won by Lewis Hamilton in a relatively dominant fashion in some regards, but didn't go completely his own way. And uh, for a lot of it, there was a large element of fortune to his win. But in fairness to Lewis Courtney, I think it's um, it's fair to say that in part, he did engineer a lot of that good fortune. Yeah, he did. Um, so if, if you're doing what's to race, if you're just catching up based on uh, this podcast alone, um, the Yimala circuit, it's quite narrow and it's quite, to, uh, it's quite difficult to overtake there. And uh, there's only one DRS zone at the start, and there weren't really many overtakes in normal conditions in this race. So it was pretty difficult for um, for Lewis to overtake, and he got over- overtaken by Verstappen at the start. So that made things even harder for him. Um, so they turned to Plan B, him and his engineer Bono, turned to Plan B, lengthened their stint. And yeah, he, um, he benefited from two things, really, didn't he? Um, Valtteri Bottas sustained floor damage in lap two I believe yeah so Bottas was already pegged back a bit and again because the circuit is so narrow narrow and difficult to overtake a faster Red Bull may I say they were faster this weekend they were closer to Mercedes so the main challenge to Lewis at this point would have been Max but Max was getting held back by Bottas so he wasn't able to overtake him and then as Lewis stretched us in and finally pitted, um, there was a virtual safety car momentarily, which gave Lewis the two, three seconds that he needed just to make sure he was ahead. Came out, led the race, and um, pretty much dominated it in a typical Lewis fashion from then going forward. Pretty much so. And uh, you're absolutely right to point out the difficulties in overtaking a circuit like uh, the Imola race. Um, it, it's always been a track in the past that's been very difficult to overtake. I mean, memory serves well then you could cast your mind back to 2005 that race between Alonso and Schumacher where as I said before one of the most incredible pieces of defensive driving I've ever seen where Alonso managed to keep Schumacher behind him to eventually win that Grand Prix and the modern day Formula One cars are always difficult to overtake they're difficult to follow they're much wider they're about two meters wide you can literally lay in front of it unless you're as tall as someone like Peter Crouch or Stephen Merchant you're going to find or yourself... Or, well, are you over two metres tall? Uh, I must be almost. I'm six foot four, so you do the maths. Uh, so uh, you just be short. I think you'd just be able to fit. Oh, okay. Yeah, if my maths is right, because I'm, I'm 185 in centimetres, so I think six foot one. So six foot four would be about uh, seven and a half centimetres taller. So yeah, you just about fit in front of a front ring as well with a bit of room to spare either side. So a bit cosy, but nonetheless, it's very difficult to overtake a modern day F1 car, especially on a track like Imola, which is a circuit that we wouldn't normally go to. As much as us F1 purists and enthusiasts for so many years would enjoy a circuit like Imola, remember this is the first race we've had there since 2006. So looking at the current grid, only Kimi Raikkonen had driven a Formula One car in a race at this circuit in the past. And uh, I think if memory serves as well, there are only three drivers that are on the current grid that had never driven a lap in anger in a professional series. And uh, I wonder if you might know, Courtney, who those three might be, if you could hazard a guess. Ooh. So I reckon some of the younger crop, shall we say, would have uh, would have driven there in some kind of junior series. I know, I know Leclerc has. Hmm. I'm going to go with, 
Giovinazzi's driven there before. Oh, okay. So I've got one right. Hmm. So I reckon Russell, Albon, Norris, Leclerc would have. Yeah. They would have driven there in European Formula 3 series um, yeah. in the past. And uh, Max? So, no, Max has driven there. Um, I, I'll To save time, I'll go for the other two. So Sergio <laughs> Perez. Sergio Perez uh, yeah. has never driven there. Well, until today. And surprisingly, Sebastian Vettel had never driven in a professional series. That's interesting, because um, you would have thought he raced where Lewis would have raced. He's about he, the same age. He did, but if you remember rightly, um, Sebastian Vettel was part of the BMW Sauber team as a reserve driver in 2006. And um, he, uh, he didn't... Yeah. So for those of you saying, oh, well, he started then. Well, he did, but not until the US Grand Prix, which was later in the summer. Whereas the Imola GP, the San Marino Grand Prix, it used to be called... Um, which, strange enough, was never in San Marino, that race. It's uh, the Emiliano uh, Remagiana region. That's why it's got its name today, that, and why they didn't call it the San Marino race. It was just convenience because we already had an Italian Grand Prix on the calendar anyway um, in Monza. So, you know, this, this was the third race this season in Italy. And uh, as I said, Sebastian Vettel was part of the BMW Sauber team as a reserve driver. He didn't get his chance later on. Nico Rosberg was another driver that um, was in that race. It was his third race of his career, Nico Rosberg, for the Williams team when uh, he raced there. Very early race in the season. And of course, the scene of many great days in Formula One, but also arguably its darkest weekend when we lost um, Roland Ratzenberger and also Ayrton Senna as well that weekend. So uh, a circuit very much shrouded in history for good and bad, but certainly was a race towards the end of it that did certainly pick up. And um Obviously, going to the obvious headlines, Mercedes once again dominated the race, as it turned out. It didn't all go their own way to start with until Max Verstappen retired later on from a uh, rear right tyre failure. Of course, we'll get more information on that as and when we get that. But I think it's fair to say, Courtney, as I said, we were talking about Lewis Hamilton briefly before we went on uh, about the Immer circuit and its history. And a lot of people watching that race that I saw on social media were complaining that Valtteri was not allowed to flex his strategy, if you like, or amend his strategy by putting on softer tyres in Portimao, which, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, proved to be the correct decision from Mercedes to not do that. But yet Lewis Hamilton, after pitting, uh, sorry, not after pitting, after Bottas and Verstappen pitted, was allowed to stretch out his stint to overtake, eventually overtake Bottas and Verstappen behind the safety uh, virtual safety car. Now, of course, that wasn't the plan. Lewis was planning to stay out a lot longer and then do it in the pit lane anyway. But of course, he got that stroke of fortune from the virtual safety car, which came out following Esteban Ocon's retirement. He had an engine failure in the Renault. And um, despite it being another one of those moments where everything seemed to fall Lewis's way, as sometimes it does happen, that's just how it goes. Um, what would you say to people that were a bit concerned that it seemed like Mercedes were favouring Lewis over Valtteri? Do you feel that was the case or do you feel that... Uh, it was just one of those things that happened and Lewis engineered it perfectly. I think, ironically, Valtteri very much suffered from the fact that he qualified on pole. Because, first of all, because he was in first place, he was the first driver to hit the debris, which caused the floor damage to his car, 
one and two. As a result of that, Max was right at the back of Valtteri. So Mercedes had to react to basically anything a Red Bull did. So it was, it was a knee-jerk reaction. You know, Mercedes are very confident in their ability because they've been so dominant. So they probably thought, you know, at the time, we got the edge over Red Bull in terms of raw pace. So we'll just copy what they do just to cover him. And as I said before, um, with, with Lewis, they had to try something different because there was no way he was going to overtake two cars, similarly, similarly packaged cars on a track like Imola. So that, that's what that's what that's what drivers do. They, they, if plan A doesn't work, they have a plan B, plan C, sometimes with Ferrari, a plan D, Adam. So, you know, you know, it's a, it's, it's a tough one, you know, because if you're looking on for somebody that isn't a fan of Lewis, you know, somebody that wants to see a different driver win, you know, well, you want to see Valtteri, you know, fight back a little bit. It's, you, you're going to be looking for things to criticise. But I, I just think, let's just say the universe sort of favoured um, Lewis today. There'll, there'll be times where it will happen the other way around. That's how life works. But I don't think there was anything deliberate done by Mercedes. Because if you think about it this way, Lewis is so far ahead in the championship, there's no need for them to gift him wins. Lewis could just finish to finish second in the next couple of races and still win a championship. And Mercedes have already, um, pretty much at that point, won the Constructors' Championship. So they wanted a one-two. They didn't care who finishes where. So I, I just feel it was just a really unfortunate day for Valtteri, you know, starting on pole. And that was that was ultimately the undoing of him. I don't think there was anything dodgy by Mercedes. No, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I, I think it's very easy for people to feel that Mercedes favour Hamilton in terms of strategy. I mean, a lot of people got to understand that you know, Mercedes have had a hard time trying to manage the relationship that kind of fractured, if you like, between Rosberg and Hamilton in the early years of the Toba Hybrid. And when Rosberg moved on, they had Valtteri Bottas, who, by contrast, has been a much easier driver to work with. Um, and, and it can be frustrating for Valtteri to feel like he did everything right this weekend, building up to the race. And he got away well, and then through no fault of his own, had some damage to the car. I mean, originally we thought, oh, has he gone over a curb or something? Because, you know, some of the bosses have said you have to watch out for these curbs. They are a lot more aggressive than they look on the surface. They look like quite easy curbs that you could drive over and you'd be fine. But in this case, Valtteri was very unfortunate to pick up a piece of debris, which not only damaged his floor, but got wedged in the floor. And he was carrying that from the whole race. And it turned out that was a piece of the um, bodywork from Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari following a collision with Kevin Magnussen on the first lap. And uh, I mean, ironically, that's probably the fastest that any part of a Ferrari's travelled this season. Being wedged onto Valtteri Bottas is Mercedes. So um, that, that proved to be the culprit. And as a result, lost a lot of downforce and a lot of speed um, owing to this. And this gave Hamilton the opportunity. Now, yeah, normally Mercedes would pit both their drivers, usually a lap or two within each other. So they don't end up in a situation where one undercuts or overcuts the other. They prefer the leader driver, um, give them priority. And then obviously they'll have the fresher tyres and pit their teammate. But they were in a battle with Max Verstappen. Once again, Mercedes held back by the fact that Max Verstappen was wedged in between the two of them. So their priority is going to be getting that one-two finish. They need to basically figure out how they're going to do that. And when Verstappen pitted early, this is what forced Mercedes' hand. Mercedes didn't want to pit early, but they didn't want a track as complicated as this. And knowing the tyres were going to go a long way, they had no choice. They had to cover Max off. If they didn't pit Valtteri when they did, there's every chance that Max would have undercut him, driven off into the distance, and Red Bull could have won today. 
you know, obviously what followed, hap- what happened, happened after that. But you never know. Those tyres might have stayed OK on his car. He might have looked after them and ended up getting the win. And Mercedes would be, you know, they'll still be fine. They probably would have still been Constructors' champions, possibly, depending on what happened with Albon. But that's kind of how they have to look at it. They don't care if Hamilton wins or Bottas wins. And in that situation, when Lewis wanted to stay out, he wasn't forced in. Mercedes would have known that situation. Bottas would have known that situation. Bottas would have been in that role and had to do what he had to do. But Bottas had that damage. You can argue that if Bottas was able to, you know, didn't have that damage today, he still would have had enough of a gap or enough speed to stay ahead of Lewis because Lewis wasn't too far ahead of him when the virtual safety car um, had ended and he had a pit stop. Valtteri was literally a few seconds back. So you'd argue Valtteri had him covered off. It was just that moment that really cost him today. And, um, you know, when it's all said and done, Mercedes still got the one-two. You know, Verstappen, despite his heroics getting past Bottas when he made that mistake out of the first Revazza, which led him being passed late in the race, that failure for Red Bull cost him a second place. So, yeah, Valtteri can be annoyed. And some of the uh, fans who, for whatever reason, feel that Mercedes are prioritising Hamilton over Bottas, I don't think that they can look at that today and say that that was what happened. That's just how a turn of events. And Hamilton, like many brilliant drivers before him, and someone probably better than almost anybody takes advantage of the situation and gets himself his 93rd Grand Prix win. And in addition to that, Lewis Hamilton chalked up another nice statistic by uh, being the second driver to acquire or to lead 5,000 laps in his Formula One career. No prizes for guessing who number one is. You're probably going to be finding <laughs> that uh, Michael Schumacher is going to be holding most of the records that Lewis Hamilton will continue to break. It's a uh, as a Schumacher fan, it almost pains me to ask Lewis, like, can you at least leave him one or two? Because I just don't think there's going to be many <laughs> left for Schumacher after Hamilton has done with Formula One. But of course, another great day for Mercedes, their seventh consecutive Constructors' Championship. Now all but confirmed they will win another driver's title at the Turkish Grand Prix, most likely with Lewis Hamilton 85 points ahead of his teammate with four races to go. Bottas has to at least outscore Lewis by eight points or more to keep this championship going. But in all fairness, as we've known for a while, Courtney, it seems like Lewis Hamilton once again with the Mercedes team will rack up his seventh world championship as well. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that as a whole? I mean, yeah, we've uh, we've spoken about Lewis and we're running out of good things to say about the guy, you know. it's it, I just don't think it will fully sink in for me until, you know, Fingers crossed he, he crosses the line in Turkey and claims that seventh world championship. Because I remember in 2008, right after he um, after he won his first championship, there was a lot of talk, you know, particularly in the, uh, the British tabloids. Will Lewis go on to beat Michael Schumacher's record and equal the, the seventh world champion? And I thought, that's crazy. I, I honestly thought that would be unreachable, completely unreachable. And yet here we are, you know, the haters will say, you know, he's benefited from, you know, a, a fantastic car over the last few years. But at the end of the day, records are there to be broken. And Lewis is no slouch. You know, we're always going to have the big debates. Who's the best driver of all time? But it's not like these championships have been won by a guy that was like a midfield level driver before he joined Mercedes. He's always been at the front, almost. And he's always been there to pick up wins that he didn't even deserve to win during his McLaren days. That's the reference I tend to look at, the, the, the bad days at McLaren. 
we said the worst days, you know, between 2009 and 2012, where he wasn't really in a position to properly challenge for a championship and he was still getting wins and pole positions he had no right to. So, you know, as, as a whole, I do believe that he deserves to be credited, shall we say, where he is today. And um, and Schumacher will always hold his own, his, his own legacy. I think it's really, it's a shame that, like, some of the fans tend to chuck away one driver's legacy, whether it be Lewis's or Michael's. Why can't we just appreciate them both? They both dominated the eras and the fans will look back fondly in the future because someone will come along. Like, it wouldn't surprise me completely if Max come along and he equally even better Lewis. It's not beyond the realms of possibility if he's in a team that dominates like this. Hmm. But it doesn't mean that throws away Lewis's legacy. It's just Max has his own era. You have the Michael Schumacher era, the Lewis Hamilton era, and then you never know, you could have the Max Verstappen era in the next couple of seasons starting. It's very possible. And it's really amazing to sort of understand if you followed Lewis Hamilton's career, how in this turbo hybrid era, that combination between himself and the Mercedes team has merged beautifully in the most amazing fashion, to, which has culminated in six, in well, nearly six drivers' world championships, seven constructors' world championships, 72 race wins as well, which I think has also equaled Michael Schumacher's race wins with Ferrari in his career as well so you know these records are tumbling and you're absolutely right you have to point out to people that some people are not going to appreciate this uh, level of success whether you're partisan to one driver or another but you know at times like these you have to stand up and acknowledge how brilliant Hamilton and in particular Mercedes have been considering this team has only competed in I believe 13 world championships in Formula One and have now won seven of those and have now one win away from equaling Williams on the all-time list for race wins for a team. I mean, it's, it's incredible numbers that we're seeing. Incredible. And Williams are third on that list. And Mercedes have nearly caught up to them. Well, they have caught up to them now. So who knows? I mean, the future of Mercedes and the future of Total Wolf has been up for debate for a long time. Total Wolf does seem now he's in this phase. I, I heard some comments that he was making earlier at the weekend it does seem like he is looking now for his successor whether he's going to stay there or he's going to go Aston Martin or do something else he does seem to be in a position now where he wants to put Mercedes in a position where someone can step up step into his role and continue that prolonged success that they have had in Formula One and continue this era of dominance because I don't know when it's going to end I don't you know it probably will end eventually but you know who is going to step up to do that it's just incredible what they've achieved and it shouldn't be understated so um Moving on from Mercedes, as we could go on a whole episode or two about how good Mercedes are and their impact on the sport, as brilliant as they are. But we've got to move on. We've got some other teams to cover. So looking at Red Bull, very disappointing day for Red Bull. Um, a day that promised quite a lot, if I'm honest. But unfortunately for them, things that happened out of their control resulted in them uh, scoring no points at all. Max Verstappen doing a great job getting third in qualifying where we expected him to be, got a good start, managed to get ahead of Lewis and was challenging for the win. And if it wasn't for Valtteri's issues holding him up and allowing Lewis to overtake them and the rear tyre failure, there's a good chance that Max could have won today. But um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I mean, how would you sum up the day for Red Bull, Courtney, in general? Because it was going so well, but then all of a sudden it went wrong, not just for Max, but for Alex Albon as well. I think today kind of summed up the issues that Red Bull have had this season, because this was the prime example of when 
Red Bull needed their second driver to help them with strategy. Because if Alex Albon was there with them, that really would have made life a lot harder for Mercedes. And we could have had a whole different outcome. You know, even with, you know, Max's um, potential puncture, it could have been down to debris. But you don't know. There might have been a lot of pressure on the tyres because he was behind the Valtteri for so long. You don't know. That could be a possibility. We won't know till the near future. But it just seems that Red Bull very much suffered as a result of not having a driver close enough to challenge the two Mercedes. And then, you know, look at Albon. He had, a, he had a fairly decent race to start with compared to where he's been for most of the season. But then he just made that mistake where he, where he spun after the safety car. And it doesn't look good, does it? No. You know, at the moment, yeah. I, at the moment, where did Red Bull go from here? Because... Where you know if if they if they let Albon go, does he go to Alpha Tari or does he drop out completely? And do they go for Perez? Do they keep Albon or do they go for Alkenberg? It's a really big, really really big thing. They've got a lot to think about. Obviously with the engine, the engine change, hmm. they really need to consider their second driver because it could be the difference between them winning and losing the championship if they get close to Mercedes next season. Yeah, I very much agree with you. It, it, it was a difficult weekend to start with for Alex Albon. He was having a hard time in practice. I think he had uh, 18 lap times or 18 violations of track limits um, during the first practice session. And, um, you, you know, it was just the one and only practice session we had, of course, logistics preventing us from doing any Friday running. But Alex Albon was complaining about track limits, particularly at turn nine and turn 15. And he was complaining that, you know, they're not consistent. Well, I mean, first things first, they are consistent, except for when the drivers complain. Usually the track limits is defined by the white line or the curbs and the stewards or the race director will specifically put in their report um, where the track limits are. In this case, the track limits were pretty much the white line. So obviously, if you had four wheels over the white line on the curbs, your lap time would be deleted. And, you know, that they did change this before qualifying. They did say, OK, at turn 15, you can use the curbs at the chicane. Uh, but at turn nine, it is still the white line. And Alex Albon was complaining about track limits. And as we mentioned in Portimao, him and Lance Stroll had issues with track limits in that race as well. And for me... I'm very old school in my opinions on this. I, I kind of see it as, look, the track limits are defined by the uh, the race director in their report. Most times it's going to be in the white lines. And I think these are some of the best drivers in the world, driving the fastest, most grippy cars you can find. It's pretty much expected that these guys have to do the best, best lap times possible within the confines of the track. I mean, it's not like football where oh, you know, they're having a hard time scoring. We're therefore going to make the goal bigger so they can score. You, d- you don't do that. You have to find a way because there are other drivers on the circuit that don't seem to have a problem keeping their car. For example, his teammate doesn't seem to have too many problems um, doing well with the speed that he can get out of that Red Bull, but keep his car within the limits of the track. I mean, when's the last time you see Max Verstappen have a time deleted in qualifying or in practice for exceeding track limits? You don't see it very often. And uh, I think it's culminating with all the frustration that Alex is having with his future at the moment, hanging in the balance. I don't even think he knows if he's going to be in Red Bull or Alvaro next season. I do expect him to be in one. I don't think Red Bull are even considering a situation where he's not going to be in either car next season. And the longer this goes, the more I'm inclined to feel that Alex Albon is going to end up in an Alpha Tauri next year alongside Pierre Gasly. 
I feel like Red Bull, I've considered options elsewhere. And half of the stuff that they've been saying in the press, they wouldn't be saying if they didn't have doubts over their current driver lineup. And I feel that with options like Hulkenberg, like Perez, who drove a brilliant race today, was very unlucky not to be on the podium. If it were not for a judgment call from his team, um, he may have found himself on the podium today. And, you know, all that aside, I just feel that Red Bull have to manage this situation carefully, but I think they have to think of who's the best driver alongside Max Verstappen that is available in their car. And do I think that's Alex Albon? I want to say yes, but quite frankly, I feel that someone like Sergio Perez would be a fantastic acquisition for Red Bull. And if I was Red Bull now, as much as I said in the last episode that Hulkenberg would be a great signing there, I would literally make sure I could get Perez in that Red Bull next season. And I feel like it's, you know, he's so consistent and so reliable and he's so experienced. I just don't think his talents can be understated in this sport. I feel like Red Bull have to get Perez and Albon put him in the AlphaTauri. He did well there last season and he may have a season similar to Pierre Gasly this year. He may have a change of, you know, a change of approach. He may change his driving style. He may feel more comfortable in that environment. It might be an easy car to drive. We've seen how good it's done for Pierre Gasly. Maybe they need to do something similar for Alex Albon and put someone like Perez in that Red Bull. So, um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on track limits, Courtney? Where do you kind of stand on it? Because I'm quite old school, but I don't know. What do you think about the track limit situation? No, I, I tend to agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, the track limits are there for a reason. And, you know, that's pretty much the whole point of Formula One, that you go to a track and you're all competing within the same guidelines to find out who's better than who. You don't just, just make the rules up as you go along because where where does it end? We're just gonna gonna cut like if there's like a if there's like an, a nest a nest curb or, or a, a pit stop chicane, we're just gonna diagonally go across it because you fancy doing it. You, you don't do yeah. that. You've been given the you've been given the parameters in which you follow to establish who's better. So you just better then at the end of the day, it's about who who analyzes the data. And who and who can drive the best line and, and know where to break an exact perfect point? That's how you define who's better than who's better than who. So I just find it a little bit ridiculous that you have people complaining or drivers complaining about certain track limits because every single other driver have got the same rules. It's not like they're saying, "Oh yeah, sorry, Alex, you can't go across um, turn 15 like that." But uh, with Sebastian Vettel there behind, you can. Yeah. It's, they have to separate examples to follow the same rules. So it, you're right, Adam. It just, it, just, it just seems like we're hearing comments from certain drivers that are struggling at the moment. It is almost like they're making up excuses for their struggles because they're probably thinking, oh, we're trying to find ways to be faster than our teammates, finding ways to be faster than some of the teams just in front of us. But you have to follow the rules because that's the whole point of Formula One, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And one driver in particular that was also confused by track limits, although when he realised what was going on was fine with it, Kimi Raikkonen, who uh, did a lap in Q1, which got him into Q2, but then, of course, because he breached track limits, got it deleted, ended up be being knocked out in Q1. So, you know, it can happen to anybody. Some of the experienced drivers, even the most experienced driver in Formula One, Kimi Raikkonen, can fall foul to it. And he was confused. He basically said, oh, I thought the track limits were fine. At turn nine, I thought it was the curb. And he said, no, the curb was for turn 15. Turn nine was within the white line. He just said, oh, okay, that's fine. But it needs more consistency. But then the problem with consistency 
is that the drivers are moaning about specific areas of the track which should be exempt from the track limits or at least they should factor in different measures because of the layout of the circuit which puts the FI, the uh, stewards I should say in a situation where they have to change that so as I said I I'm very old school about it I think if you breach the white lines and have four, all four wheels off of it and other people seem to be able to manage it then I don't think they should make exceptions just because one or two drivers can't so you know that that's my thoughts on it obviously I'm not a Formula One driver these guys are no better than I would but when you're racing everybody's having you know to do it by the same amount if other people can do it why can't you i don't think they're asking too much of them but uh speaking of which i think this is a good opportunity to wrap up part one so we've covered red bull and mercedes we're going to look at a few other performances today from a few other teams and of course get some well put our comments in regarding how they've done and obviously what we are expecting in the weeks ahead so we'll take a break here and we'll see you in for part two of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you tomorrow the dnf1 f1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip news and events in the world of formula one in each episode we discuss the hot topics interview guests as well as review each race from the formula one world championship we upload new episodes weekly and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms including spotify apple podcasts and google play we also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 Podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So in part one, we were talking about Mercedes in particular and Max Verstappen after an incredible day for Mercedes. And of course, the session Red Bulls Day with Max unfortunately retiring late on with a rear right tyre failure. And uh, Alex Albon, of course, you know, it was a good race for him to start off with. You know, he was doing okay, running with Leclerc and Ricardo, battling away with them and Kvyat. But towards the end of the race, didn't end up pitting for the softer tyres on the restart, unlike a few people did. And then after being overtaken by Perez and Kvyat, who had done so, ended up dropping it out and uh, spinning off the road. One of the chicanes that completely wrecked his race. So a lot of pressure on him in his future at Red Bull. It's going to be interesting to see what Red Bull decide to do regarding his future with some appealing options like Sergio Perez available. And um, so let's move to Ferrari. Now, Ferrari, of course, last week at Portimao, Leclerc had a fantastic drive getting fourth position. And uh, he probably would have been a bit unlucky today to not repeat that, but he got fifth place nonetheless. How would you rate his stay at Ferrari? I can't really say that Leclerc did too much wrong today. It was another good performance and uh, perhaps with a bit more fortune might have got on the podium. Yeah, it's um, certainly proven that both Ferrari and uh, particularly Charles are becoming um, a lot more consistent. You know, it would have been easy to have uh, to have thought that last time round was uh, was a one-off. He got lucky because you know that that turns his final hand a lot in a uh, Formula One. But it's um, it's starting to prove that Ferrari are making some kind of progress with their development, and uh, particularly Charles Leclerc. He's uh, this difficult season has definitely helped him mature and become an all-round better driver and um if if 
if Ferrari continue to get their act together, in the next couple of seasons in, in the future, we could very much see a very exciting battle between him and Max Verstappen, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely right. And, uh, you know, did a good job with Leclerc today. Fifth place, I think, would have been pretty happy with that. It wasn't the easiest of places to go. And given the way that the race panned out, I think Charles Leclerc did a good job nonetheless. And uh, unfortunately for the other side of the garage, Sebastian Vettel, again, wasn't a great qualifying performance from him. Uh, failed to get into Q3 once again. And, uh, you know, the race was sort of going in his favour. You know, he stayed out quite long on the medium tyres, like Kimi Raikkonen did. I mean, Kimi Raikkonen did 49 laps on the medium tyres, which is incredible, all things considered. And Vettel was driving a good race. Unfortunately, when he went into the pits, he uh, got held up in the pit lane uh, as a result of his team having some issues getting the wheels on the car. There was an issue with the uh, rear left tyre, and then there was an issue on the right front. And uh, he lost 10 seconds in the pit stops, ended up behind George Russell and uh, Kimi Raikkonen, of course. And then Ferrari pitted him again under the safety car, ended up finishing outside the point. So, I mean, if you're Sebastian Vettel, it just doesn't seem that every, anything can go right for you. If he, I mean, he wasn't anywhere near his best, but one of the more solid performances from him this season that we've seen from time to time. But once again, when Ferrari, under very little pressure, to deliver for him they've kind of let him down once again on this one it i mean how many times do ferrari have to make these small mistakes which do add up before they're finally in a position where you know they can at le- the team can at least or the drivers can at least rely on them to do their job right yeah with with seb it's been it's been almost tough to watch at times you know in one sense, it does seem his mind's already at Aston Martin and 2021. But, geez, even when like he's doing relatively well for his standard this season, you know, the one time this, this season in, in recent races that he's in a decent position to get some good points for Ferrari, it all seemed to uh, go wrong in the pit lane. And, and, and maybe it's the accumulation of these little things that have led to Seb becoming frustrated at Ferrari and wanting a new start because this this has been happening for like for a few seasons now, you know, particularly when he was you know close to challenging for championships, you'd see these little mistakes that would cost him race victories or even podiums, and even when they're down at the bottom, you're right, you know, even when things go well for them in every other way, they're they're chipping over themselves, and I just get the feeling that. Vettel will be extremely happy when his season's over because it just when we broke the news, shall we say, when we when we discussed the breaking news about Sebastian Vettel leaving Ferrari, we both hoped that it would end on a on a high. You know, he'd get some good results. You know, because he he has done a good job for Ferrari overall, but it just seems to be ending for him in such a mundane and sad way and. Let's hope in his um, next coming races, there's four races left in his Ferrari career. Let's hope he gets a positive result. You never know, there might be a crazy race and he might even pick up a podium. Wouldn't that be nice for him to uh, go out on that high? It certainly would be. And uh, nobody wanted it to end this way. Everyone thought that this move back in 2015 was going to prove to be uh, something special. The start of something special, moving from Red Bull, a hero, at that team, moving to Ferrari, the team where his hero, Michael Schumacher, had been so successful, hoping for something similar. And it was so many near misses in back in the 2017 and 2018. And since then, it's been kind of downhill for them. 
for whatever reason, Vettel's struggling with a car. Even when things seem a bit more better, he himself feels like he's driving better. But I think the sooner this ends for them, the better. And that hopefully Seb could be more like his old self when he goes to Aston Martin. I think Ferrari needs to move away from this as well. Put their efforts into Carlos Sainz and hopefully have two drivers fighting for points and podiums and maybe even race wins in 2021, possibly 2022 more likely. But um, a mixed bag for Ferrari. But at least Charles Leclerc could help get their best result at the one of the three Italian Grand Prix races that we've had this year. It's not been a happy homecoming for Ferrari, which has ultimately finished with their biggest rivals, Mercedes, wrapping up another Constructors' Championship and, of course, coming home in the fashion that they did, line a third of each other in formation, as they so often have done at the Italian races. Almost a, a friendly but cheeky little dig at Ferrari, as they had done in the past. So definitely work for them to do, and hopefully they can be back fighting soon. Maybe some more positive news for the Renault team. I forgot, we completely forgot about them earlier on. But Renault, the strangest old story, isn't it? The old cliche with London buses. You know, they wait nine years for a podium. They've got two in the last three races with Daniel Ricciardo. Once again, one of the ultimate opportunists in Formula One, managing to capitalise on misfortune from other drivers, as well as driving very solidly himself to get a second Renault podium in just in as many weeks. So I think the first question that I would have to ask, Courtney, is does this mean that Cyril is going to have to get another tattoo on top of the one that we expect him to get for that podium at the Eiffel Grand Prix? Now, Daniel was um, interviewed on this very uh, topic and um, apparently he said to him um, he refuses to have another tattoo, but there might be another <laughs> member of the team that might get a tattoo this time. Ooh, um, honey badgers all round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the other odd thing was on, on the podium, he, he actually remembered to do the shoe this time. So mm. that was enough to see. But Lewis, Lewis had a go, didn't he? Yeah, he uh, did the shoey. So for those of you that don't know what the shoey is, is basically Daniel Ricciardo invented this celebration on the podium where he pours champagne into one of his race shoes and then proceeds to drink out of it in celebration. And uh, as Courtney mentioned, not only did he remember to do it this time because he forgot to do it at the Eiffel Grand Prix um, until later on, but Courtney mentioned Lewis joined in. And uh, not only that, Lewis drank out of one of Daniel's race boots rather than his own yeah um i mean we're in a covid pandemic so i'm pretty sure <laughs> that was a i mean is that allowed i mean because all i was all i was seeing was the um master chief meme the blue master chief meme going wait that's illegal in response to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was was it's, it's, it's so weird because this time last year right let's like if we're seeing like yeah god lewis that's it you know because Lewis has a reputation for being a bit boring. So, you know, it'd have been everyone would be going, yeah, go on, mate. But then this year, you're like, oh no, is that Kofi secure? Because it just seems yeah. that everything that we do in our everyday life, oh, you inhale. Oh, is that Kofi secure? It's it's such a it, it's such a shame that we've got this thing hovering over us. And it's you know, it just makes little little moments like that, which we should be like celebrating, enjoying. And there's just we just seem to have a little bit of cynicism about it. And uh Let's hope that this whole situation passes very soon and uh, we have similar podiums next year and we can enjoy them a lot better, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Sir Patrick Stewart, the uh, Star Trek actor, well, British Star Trek actor, many things he's been in, Sir Patrick. And uh, he, he indulged with Daniel, if I remember rightly, at the uh, Canadian Grand Prix a couple of years ago. 
to do a shoey with him. And uh, yeah, Lewis doing that as well. I, I mean, I always enjoy it when Daniel does a shoey. He's one of my favourite drivers on the grid. He's such a great character. And um, as funny as it was to see Lewis join him, I couldn't help but wince at the thought of saying, oh, that's been on Daniel's shoe. That cockpit's like 50 degrees centigrade. That's like... You can sanitize that with as much alcohol and champagne as you want, but that's still <laughs> someone else's foot sweat that you're basically drinking. And uh, I think my brother was watching. He said, Is, isn't Lewis meant to be vegan? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, technically, foot sweat's a byproduct. So, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it's not, but um, I mean, any, 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 anyone... Anyone who is vegan, <laughs> let me know in the comments. Does that count as breaking the vegan diet for Lewis drinking champagne mixed with foot sweat from another person out of their race boot? A very strange question, probably not one you've heard before, but yeah, do let me know what your thoughts are. That let us know in the comment section. <laughs> yeah, not a dig, obviously. You know, it's absolutely fine. People entitled to do what they want to do, but uh, you know, not going to be the vegan police. If anyone's seen Scott Pil the Scott Pilgrim oh, film with the vegan police. I don't think it'd be anything. Maybe that's what they need to do with Lewis. Say it'd like be like a third violation, and then the vegan police come along and take away his Formula One driving ability. Say it's because he's vegan. Yeah. I don't know. Um... <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> anyway, pretty sure Daniel Ricciardo is not vegan. I'm pretty certain of that. I don't. I... But um, moving on. Uh, as I said, another great day for Renault. Daniel Ricciardo, once again, great performance. And uh, I asked this question before about his impending move to McLaren. Now, given what McLaren are doing with their development, we think they're prioritising 2021 now. They're not too bothered about this season's performance. But the fact that McLaren seem to be on their own at the tail end of the top 10, whereas Renault are fighting for big points and podiums, is it more and more looking likely that Daniel Ricciardo might have made a wrong decision to go to McLaren in 2021 or do you feel that um you know things should sort themselves out and McLaren will be a much more formidable force than what Renault are doing right now I suppose I mean what are your thoughts on that court it all hinges on how much of a difference that Mercedes motor is gonna make to McLaren next season because I I imagine they've had to sort of like halt their development curve for this season, knowing that they might have to change a few things with the Mercedes motor next season. So maybe they've done some early planning. So they're suffering at the back end of this season. Um, it does seem that Renault are building something very positive, you know, and they're, and they're, they're timing it perfectly with 2022 coming along. And, you know, I, I, I look at Fernando Alonso and I think Fernando might have had some idea about this coming. Because I don't think he would have come back to the Formula 1 if he didn't think he'd have a half-decent car to drive in. Hmm. So, oh, it, it, it could go either way. I think I think right now it seems that it's um, going in Renault's favour. But up until March, April next year, we won't really know. It, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for McLaren. You know, they've always developed decent cars, but they've always struggled in the engine department. So... This Mercedes move could help. But at the same time with McLaren, last time they were with Mercedes, they were, the relationship was a lot more healthier. They probably got a lot more resources from Mercedes. But now they're also going to be beyond the works team, Mercedes. And Mercedes themselves do seem to be heavily invested in the project at Aston Martin. So 
McLaren aren't going to benefit from this Mercedes engine as much as they did last time. It's going to be really intriguing and see. I think McLaren are going to be one of the teams that are going to sort of raise the most interest in pre-season next season. Absolutely. And I think if anyone wants to hazard a guess at what this relationship will be like for McLaren or how it's going to pan out for them, I suppose they have to look at what Racing Point have done this year. In that, you know, with the Mercedes gearbox and the Mercedes engine that McLaren are going to use, they've designed a lot of parts of their car that are similar to what Mercedes have done with their current cars. So you'll probably find that McLaren are going to probably have a very similar car to them nonetheless. And it's a good way to go, but they need to be on top mm. of it and they need to sort of hit the ground running next season. So there's a lot of emphasis on that. Um, you know, seventh and eighth today for McLaren, whilst we're talking of them, not a bad day for them. I think other people falling out has got the more points. They were fairly solid. You know, Signs and Norris, it's probably easy to say that Signs and Norris are the most competitive driver partnership on the current grid at the moment. They always seem to be battling each other week after week after week, whereas most teams have one driver further up the field and then the other one not doing so well. And it does alternate from time to time. So, you know, I think McLaren will be relatively happy with this. But of course, they're in a constructors fight with Renault, with Racing Point, Ferrari, got one car really fighting them so probably not them and same with Alvatari to some respects of course with the exception today with Daniel Kvyat putting in a great performance but you know there's something they do have to keep their eye on they can't bin 2020 when a third position in the Constructors Championship is possible instead of trying to get um, what would be you know a, a better car in 2021 so we'll have to wait and see how that develops for them but a uh, a fairly decent day for them, I suppose, under the circumstances. But a uh, racing point. Let's go back to racing point. And uh, Sergio Perez, brilliant drive for him today. One of the best, probably driver of the day, in my opinion. You know, he, he had a very long first stint. He did 29 laps on the medium tyres. He went longer than Ricardo, Leclerc, Kvyat, Albon. He started 11th, ended up ahead of them all with the possibility of getting a podium after Verstappen's retirement. And then, strangely... Racing Point took a gamble to pit him on the softer tyres under the safety car, which basically sacrificed track position. Now, I don't know if the reason for that was for safety concerns or because uh, you know because they were worried about what happened to Max, for it might happen to Sergio, and uh, or perhaps they thought that everyone else was going to do the same thing, so they thought to take a gamble on the softer tyres. Unfortunately for him, it ultimately didn't work because they surrendered third place and ended up finishing sixth behind Leclerc, behind Ricardo, and even behind Danny Kvyat, who did the same thing, but ended up overtaking him and overtaking Charles Leclerc. So, I mean, what would you make a racing points day overall? I mean, for Sergio Perez, it was a great drive for him today, but where were you on that decision, Courtney? Do you think that was a bit silly from racing point, or do you feel that that was a necessary change and that they were just caught out by the fact that other teams did not follow suit? It's just one of those unfortunate things that happen. You know, safety cars can make or break races. And uh, Racing Point were were very much one of the biggest victims of this particular safety car. But yet again, Sergio Perez, just proving why he should be um, staying in Formula 1 and why I think he should be number one choice to um, drive for Red Bull. Yeah, again, another good audition for him. So he can take that with him, knowing this could well help him get a decent seat. Um, then at the other end, you look at Lance Stroll, another clumsy performance. I, I don't know if it's because he had COVID. I don't know because we only he knows how much he suffered from it. But he hasn't been the same in the past few races, and that that sentiment 
within some of the fan base is only there because of his dad will continue to grow and unfortunately for him he'll be under a lot of pressure so hopefully for Lance's uh, own good hopefully he has uh, some more clean races before the end of the season because I don't know what happened in the pit lane apparently he said he had cold brakes but he hit one of the uh, mechanics at the, uh, at the front that's right it, do- it doesn't look yeah. good because the last race last race had a very clumsy overtake with Lando Norris which led to both of them getting negative uh, publicity. Mm. And then this this week, it's just, I don't know, it's, again, these things happen, but it doesn't look good on a driver. So, mixed fortunes. Yet, yet another team that seems to have had uh, mixed fortunes today. Yeah, you're right. And uh, another worrying statistic for Lance Stroll, um, since the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, where he scored a podium, and in some cases felt he should have won that race, he's not scored a point since that race um, and, that, and back in September. And, you know, some people will be worried. Of course, he had that crash in Mugello. He couldn't help. He was taken out the Russian Grand Prix by Leclerc, uh, you know, and a few other things that have happened since. But you're right, Lance is going for a period at the moment. And with COVID as well, obviously, how long before he shakes that off, if he hasn't already, it is starting to impact on his driving a bit. And he's not showing the same level of form that he was at the start of the season. I think Racing Point, in a way, have gone down a little bit on the overall pecking order. It seems that Renault in particular have stolen the march on everybody. Alfa Tauri a lot closer to that group. Ferrari have recouped some of their momentum and are back in that fight, at least under Charles Leclerc. And McLaren are fairly solid as well in the top 10. And Ocon as well has picked up his form. Unfortunate today, would have got some good points, but, you know, he had to retire with an issue. And, um, you know, it is worrying sides of racing point. They've got Sergio Perez, who's not going to be there next season. And, uh, you know, it'll be an absolute travesty if he's not in Formula 1. I hope, personally hope he will be. I think he will be. But we'll have to wait and see where that's going to be. Either Red Bull or Alpha Tauri. Of course, that door at Williams is now firmed securely shut. And um, we'll have to wait and see what they do. But definitely a mixed bag for racing point today. But at least it should be happy with Sergio Perez's performance. But it could have been so much more for them. And uh, moving on to Alpha Tauri, another mixed day for them not in the way that they anticipated either i mean pierre gasly was wearing or donning the famous uh, rendition of Etten senna's famous helmet in tribute to him of course had prior approval from the senna foundation to drive this weekend with that helmet looked fantastic it was a beautiful gesture and pierre gasly it looks so good for him four place in qualifying started the race well was battling hard with daniel ricardo and charles Leclerc in that fight potentially what would have been a podium and uh, had to retire because of an engine issue that he had. Apparently, there was a coolant issue overnight that they had to check and thought they'd fixed it, but it proved to be terminal. The coolant area failed and they had to pull the car in the pits before it was a more serious engine issue. So such a shame for Pierre Gasly in a season where he has arguably been the best pound for pound, the best driver in this season, him and Max fighting for that. But once again, you know, such a shame for Pierre, but until then, he was doing a fantastic job. And then... When all seemed a bit lost, we moved to the other side of the garage. Danny Kvyat, out of nowhere, and uh, drove a very, very good race, battling away with Albon, Leclerc, Ricardo, and then obviously when the safety car came in, went onto the softer tyres like Perez did, but he actually made it work. Put off great overtake to overtake Albon and Perez, and then a stunning overtake outside turn nine to overtake Charles Leclerc. Very, very nearly got on the podium, but unfortunately, Ricardo's harder tyres warming up just in the nick of time to help him fend off the Alpha Tauri. I mean, Danny Kvyat is a very, very much an enigma in Formula One. We've said for a long time that Danny, uh, Daniel has been very, very quick at times, but equally can be nowhere. 
And, you know, was good enough to get in the Red Bull years ago, back in 2016, but he lost that seat after a few shunts with Sebastian Vettel, which Red Bull weren't keen on, which gave Max's opportunity, Max Verstappen, and uh, hasn't looked back since. I mean, where do we sit on the Danny Kvyat situation? Because it does seem for, you know, all the speculation that we see that his future in Formula One is coming to an end. Um, you know, not much he can do about that. It seems that there aren't enough seats available and Alpha Tauri or Red Bull in particular don't feel that he's going to be there in the long term. And he was only in that Red Bull, back in the Red Bull books, if you like, when there wasn't really any option, option available last season. So, I mean, will this fourth place cast a bit of doubt in the minds of Red Bull and Alpha Tauri? Do they feel they may need to do a U-turn and keep him for another year? Or do you feel that perhaps despite as impressive as this one from Daniel Kivia, and it was one of the best performances he put in since that podium in Germany 2019. Do you feel that it's a bit too little too late for Daniel? Yeah, couldn't pull it any better myself. Um, if he had done this maybe three, four races ago and then carried on, like the way, the way Gasly did, Gasly put in, you know, when he won in Monza, put along a good uh, string of results and that that's given him the momentum that he needs. And you look, you look at Kvyat, I think this needed to happen earlier um, because Red Bull are in a bit of a sticky situation as it is. Um, I, I feel right now it, it would take Daniel to do quite a lot. Of, I, I think he'd probably have to win a race to be considered to stay in the Red Bull programme next season. And unfortunately for him, there aren't going to be many places available for him. So unfortunately, I'd be very surprised if he... Um, Keeps a seat in Formula One. But going off on a slight tangent, I'll keep it brief. This season with the driver market reminds us exactly why we could do with another team or two in Formula One because we're going to potentially lose some very good drivers. And, you know, this this Formula One's the pinnacle motorsport. You want to be seeing the best drivers in this sport. Hmm. So let's hope in the future, after COVID, if there's a, an economic boom, let's hope we see a couple more teams and we can see drivers like... But, you know, hopefully, like, if Perez leaves, Perez come back, Hulkenberg come back, and even to an extent, Kvyat, because he's not he's not the best of drivers, but I think it'd be harsh. You know, he's, he's, he's proven he's proven today why, on his day, he still has um, his part of the offer to Formula 1. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think the big problem, as you've mentioned, is the lack of teams. And in part, a lot of that uh, resides around the engine issue in formula one which we will be discussing next week uh in that episode because of course the turkish grand prix is not for another two weeks so we will need someone to fill the time next week so we'll be talking a bit more about the engine issue in depth and why that is preventing uh new teams from coming into the sport and obviously what perhaps can be done before 2026 if their option is available they have been discussing it for some time and they're actively looking for a solution but we will talk about that more next week but um yeah, absolutely right. Danny Kvyat, it just seems unfortunate there's not enough seats in Formula One. He's proven he's good enough. He's got a good following, especially, you know, the leading Russian driver, the only Russian driver uh, until Nikita Mazepin, as we expect to come into Formula One next season, will take part with the Haas team. But we'll have to see how that un- develops and when that's confirmed. Um, speaking of Haas, not really the best of days for them. I think fair to say Grosjean and Magnussen, well, I mean, they're just sort of driving around at the moment and uh, waiting for this season to end, really. Uh, Magnussen had to retire because he was having headache issues, apparently, because the gear shifts when he was shifting up was really knocking him in the back of the head. I don't know what to make of that. 
that's a, a new one for me. And uh, Roman Grosjean have a relatively quiet race until he got a time penalty at the end, which really didn't do him any favours. So definitely a difficult day for us. Uh, but of course, we expect them to announce their driver lineup soon, which we do believe it will be Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. But we'll have to wait for formal confirmation of that. So um, let's go to the Alfa Romeo team. Not a bad day for Alfa Romeo. Two points finishes once again. Um, can't say they've had that a lot, but another good day for them. Kimi Raikkonen doing 49 laps on the medium tyres, a huge effort from him, managing to finish ninth, and then Antonio Giovinazzi finishing in 10th place. So, you know, both of these drivers now confirmed for the 2021 season. As we mentioned on the podcast, we thought that would be the case. We got the official confirmation literally a day after we talked about that. So, uh, see our crystal ball and everything else, you know. We have the inside track. <laughs> Not really, yeah. but, you know, uh, it, it just, you know, I expected this to happen. It did seem for a while that Mick Schumacher might get his opportunity in Alfa Romeo, but for whatever reason, Giovinazzi has been kept on. And to be fair, I think it's probably deserved for Giovinazzi. I think he's deserved his seat for another year. Certainly improved from last season and uh, another good points finish for him and for Kimi Raikkonen as well. So great day for them. I'm interested to note, Courtney, I don't know if you know this, but Kimi Raikkonen, has uh, in the last six races excluding this one him and Sebastian Vettel have finished alongside each other in five out of those six races so clearly question remains is that love affair between Seb and Kimi uh, the reason why Seb wants to be a bit further down the order so he can have more fun racing with his old teammate Kimi Raikkonen because they're good friends very very much one of the more amicable friendships in Formula One badminton partners as well they don't live too far from one another so uh yeah clearly Seb and Kimi the uh untold romance story in Formula One at the moment yeah I mean both both of them have uh certainly uh made their mark in Formula One um I, I think I think Seb's far from finished but Kimi's very much happy to uh drive a car around pick up uh, an extortionate paper packet and go home and uh no, you can't blame the guy. Um, so he, he's happy. Seb's going to be, you know, going going on to a new start next season. So I've, I feel their personalities very much suit each other. None of them like the glitz and the glamour and the attention. So I think they've got very com- uh, compatible characters. Hmm. So Definitely, it's nice. Yeah. It's, nice to see, it's, nice, it's nice to see a couple of friendships outside of Formula One. Um but I, I think I think Seb will be hoping that's definitely not the case next season. He would want to be up there challenging for podiums. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely a dying breed. Drivers like Seb and Kimi, um, in terms of that generation, we've got the new digital gaming style generation of young guns coming through, and there aren't many like Seb and Kimi. So uh, always fun to see them two battling each other. It's ironic they're battling more now than they did in their Ferrari days together. So, uh, you know, that, that's that's life for you, I suppose. But um no, another good day for Alfa Romeo and uh, Kimi and Giovinazzi doing a good job. So last but certainly not least, and I've got to say absolutely gut-wrenching for George Russell, but uh, Williams, who have now confirmed Simon Roberts, who uh, I forgot in last week's podcast, <laughs> make sure to definitely get that one in. So uh, apologies, Simon, I forgot you in last week's podcast, but for top of my uh, to-do list in terms of uh, remembering who is who in Formula One. Certainly not going to forget him for as long as I do this podcast. But uh, a very, I mean, how how can I say? Di- I mean, difficult. I mean, Latifi ended up in 11th, you know, did very well under the circumstances. But George Russell, 34 races now 
where he has failed to score a point in Formula One. And in a large part, that's not necessarily been his fault because he's driven the car there's been well below par in terms of trying to get points to the point where they're now competing with other cars on a regular basis rather than racing amongst themselves. So that's an achievement in its own right. But today was such a huge opportunity for George. And like he did in Portimao, drove an exceptional race. Started 13th, brilliant in qualifying once again, Q2 for the eighth time this season. In half the, in more than half the races this season, Courtney, he's qualified for Q2 at least. So that's a brilliant brilliant statistic for him in a car that's easily the slowest car on the grid and once again in the race the circumstances were going his way you know he drove well the strategy was good he was quick he was consistent and then the safety car came out ended up in the top 10 and all of a sudden there was a very very good opportunity for George Russell to hold on to that position it would have been difficult because it had Kimi Raikkonen on soft tires behind him then of course what happened to Alex Albon you know it would have promoted him even higher it seemed like George may have finally broken that duck and got his first championship point. But unfortunately, under the safety car, similar to what Roman Grosjean did in Baku a few years ago, he just dropped it coming out of turn 10, spun up the rear tyres, smashed it into the wall. And in embarrassing fashion, that was his race over and that opportunity has passed him by once again. And as we saw George reacting afterwards, when he got out of the car, went over to the side and basically sat down, was completely inconsolable, similar to what Mika Hakkinen was like after crashing at Monza in 99 when he went behind the hedges. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, how do you feel about that one, Courtney? Because, I mean, my heart goes out to George Russell, but to be honest, it's a very, very disappointing moment for him that could prove to be difficult to get over in the short term. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it must have been horrible for him. Um, he was... He's riding a little bit of a positive wave this weekend, given the uh, the confirmation it'll be Stan Williams next season. You know, you said it yourself. He's had a uh, had a pretty uh, you know, all things considered, a very good race. And it was it just it just seemed like such a silly area because he was he was trying to heat the tires up during the safety car because when you have the harder tire, it's harder to heat up the tires. So because he was just behind the safety car, so he was trying to. He accelerated, didn't he? And he just lost control and, and slammed it into the wall. You know, with these old, uh, with these old, um, these old circuits, there isn't uh, much room for error. And unfortunately, he fell, um, he fell foul to it. And as as tough as it is for him, it, it will it will help it build his character and his experience in the future. And he just needs to come away from this weekend and learn that overall it's been positive. He's going to have plenty more opportunities to get these points that he really does deserve. And let's not forget that that Mercedes situation isn't going away. If Bottas has a poor season next season, George Russell will be one of the first names in line to replace him in 2022. So mm. as tough as it is for George today, he's going to be keeping his seat and he's going to have an opportunity to prove himself to drive that Merc one day. So with a bit of perspective, I'm sure he'll be back to his best very soon. Yeah, this will definitely help in terms of building character for him. And I don't want to kick him while he's down because literally my heart sunk when I saw him in the wall. I literally was hoping and excited at the prospect of being able to finally say on this podcast that George Russell has finally got his first points in Formula One. And it's something that he does need to do eventually. I mean, he won't be happy with the fact that he's now fourth on the all-time list of uh, most races in Formula One without a point. Um not that it's a record that I think many people care about, but it's one of those that you do find get thrown about at you the longer that the run goes on. I mean, look at Hulkenberg without a podium. Uh, there was a time with Jensen Button 
went over 100 races without winning until he eventually won in the 2006 Hungarian Grand Prix for BAR Honda. So, you know, in George Russell's case, yeah, it's a very hard day for him. Probably one of the hardest days in Formula One. He's been fantastic the last couple of weeks. And I think Mercedes definitely keeping an eye on that. But the one concern Mercedes will have is that when George has been in that position, unfortunately, these small but very costly mistakes do tend to creep into his drive. And he's a very young driver as well. We have to understand and accept the fact that, yes, he's achieved so much. Yes, he looks very talented. He's got the speed. He does look like a potential championship challenge in the future. But these are going to be the moments that Mercedes will look at when they ask the question, do we think putting someone like George Russell, who's been in a Williams at the back of the grid, uh, is it going to be a sensible decision to put him in the, in the Mercedes where not just points, but podiums, race wins, and even world championships become an expectation. You know, it, it's a huge leap. I'm worried that despite him being brilliant the last couple of weeks, uh, moments like this could potentially jeopardize uh yeah. the chances of him being in that mercedes because you feel that it's either there or he has to look elsewhere and uh, that that could be a problem for him going forward i certainly hope that's not the case and uh, i wish george all the best and i'm sure eventually sooner rather than later he keeps doing what he's doing he will find himself in that position and uh get it over the line and get it done i mean what what are your thoughts on that corner yeah he needs a really strong 2021 williams should with the new investment should make some kind of progress next season and with a with a strong 2021 and if Valtteri continues to struggle fighting against Lewis this could be a real opportunity for George I feel that next season could really define his um, his future in Formula One Mm. no absolutely right and uh, I think that's a good way to end the podcast here, uh, just over an hour now. So uh, managed to time that relatively well. Um, if you are new to the podcast and you are watching us on YouTube, don't forget you can follow us on our social media that we've put at the bottom of the page, although my finger might be pointing in the wrong way because it mirrors on Zoom. So it is at the bottom on the right corner. So make sure to check that out on Twitter, Instagram, as a DNF1 underscore podcast and on YouTube and Facebook, DNF1-F1 podcast as well. Make sure to like and follow us on those and say hi to us as well. And of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, make sure to like, share and subscribe to the channel. All of that helps us out so much and it really allows us to make more content for you guys. So please do continue to support us and we really appreciate all of you for that. And of course, if you are listening to us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, as you can see the bottom left on the YouTube channel, you can always check out the YouTube video as well. You get to see our faces and Courtney in particular, probably more appealing to look on that one than mine. And uh, although my uh, Schumacher frame in the background isn't one to be snuffed at either, but then as you can see, Courtney, I can notice, <laughs> and I noticed Courtney on the bottom right of your screen, you've got the one of the DNF1 F1 podcast flyers in the background. Yeah, and, one, of, uh, one, of the, uh, one, one of the 2000 flyers that you gave me, my uh, 2000. Yeah. Well, the plan was, guys, that when we first made this podcast about eight months ago, I believe it was, about nearly nine months ago, Courtney and I, uh, this was before COVID hit, and uh, we'd had a list of events that was happening all around the country for motorsport enthusiasts, and we were going to go to almost all of them throughout the year and just wait at train stations and hand out flyers just to advertise the podcast. But unfortunately, because of COVID, all of it got cancelled. So we're now lauded with around a couple of thousand flyers. So uh if you uh, do happen to go around Mudshoot Farm, if you're in the area, you might bump into Courtney, who might have a flyer or two to hand out to, although bear in mind, respect social distancing. And because of lockdown, you may have to wait a bit longer, maybe after Christmas might be a bit safer. But uh, 
nonetheless, um, if you, as I said, if you are new to the podcast, thank you for checking us out. We hope that you've enjoyed yeah, our discussion. But of course, as all, all good things have to come to an end for this week. And uh, until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.